and welcome back to another episode of Grownish. I'm Brooklyn Beatty. And I'm Josh Williams. How's it going today, Josh? Uh, you know what? It's another beautiful day in the neighborhood. I promise I'm not trying to turn into Mr. Rogers here, but I'm going to coin that phrase real quick because it's, a, it's it really is. We're looking out of the MNC studios right now, and it's a beautiful day out in South Bend. Blue skies, sun's out there. Almost feels like it might be 50 degrees, but... It, it's an illusion. I know. I hate to say this. I feel like we're in the second round of spring. It's coming up because we had the first spring. Then we had that fool's. No, it was the fool's spring first. Yeah. We had the second winter come around a couple days ago. It was freezing out. Snow. A little bit of snow. Thankfully, none of it stuck. But now we're back to a little bit warmer skies, blue skies. But I'm trying not to get too excited. I know. it, but Because, you know, it is still March. It There's, snowed last year in April. Do you remember that? Yeah, my goodness. That Absolutely. was terrible. Opening day of baseball had a little bit of snow out there. And and speaking of, you know, this is kind of an exciting time. There's a lot of tournament action going on in the sports world because, you know, that's where I, that's my gravitas. That's right. where I live. There's a lot of basketball going on. I, I'm still learning basketball all the time. You know, I, I never was like you. I didn't play basketball, okay, so I never had to go through the actual training portion of it. Mm-hmm. So I always look at basketball as one of those sports that, hey, I, I try to – Stay learning, right? Um, student of the game type of deal. But uh, excited for football, free agencies going on, so a lot of things are happening with that. Uh, anything new in the world happening in Brooklyn's neck of the woods? Um, kind of just the same, doing my morning show, doing Froggy. That's been fun. I feel like I finally got my groove on that. Oh. Um, cause, How is the morning show? We've talked show? about yeah. that before where, I mean, I've been doing news for years, right? especially news radio. And so then going into music radio and being a DJ kind of situation, it was a little bit daunting at first because I'd never done it. But I feel like lately I've got my groove and I've been using TikTok as a way to promote the show. Oh, no way. So this, uh, what is it, uh, Radio Brooklyn? Yeah, at Radio Brooklyn on TikTok. I've been trying to like record myself, do some of my spots on Froggy to kind of just, you know, Put it out there. Let people know that I got fun stuff to say. I'm not going to sit here and act surprised because I've seen both of them, and mm-hmm. they are fire. She is on to something, folks. I can't wait to see what the progression follows here in a couple of weeks. Well, last week we talked about um, the TikTok trend, the unboxing, the yeah, unwrapping yeah. toys. There's a whole other genre on TikTok for radio people. I posted that first video about a week ago now. I've had like four radio DJs follow me on oh, TikTok. No way. Yeah, because apparently it's like a community. Oh. So I'm kind of keeping up with it because I'm hoping that like it'll get more some more attention and maybe make some friends or that's something. I don't know. We'll that's see. But that's the only thing new with me. So not too crazy, but trying something new. So I think it's a, a good time now to maybe jump into uh, giving the folks a little preview of what they can expect on today's episode of Grownish. Definitely. So- Take it away, Brooklyn. Well, we're kind of doing the show the same way we did it last week. I feel like it worked really well. We're breaking it down to segments. We're still going to do a a, um, what makes us happy segment. We've got stuff you should know. And then, of course, we teased this last week. We're going to be doing three installments of Women's History Month. So, again, both you and I came up with someone we wanted to talk about in women's history that we think made an impact. And then we're wrapping up today with a BuzzFeed article that I found. It's super, super interesting. It's about what non-Americans thought were fake about America, but it's all actually true. And honestly, I was shocked by some of these things. Cheese has to be the number one thing up there, right? Cheese? Yeah. In what way? What do you think about it? You get the sliced cheese. That cheese is not real. I don't know about sliced cheese. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But I have read somewhere. This is actually not on the list. But I've read somewhere where people in Europe, they can't get over the fact that we have canned cheese, like the spray cheese. Because they're like, they're like, there's no way that's cheese. What is that? And I know that you know what I'm talking about. Because I know. 
He likes to put it on chicken and a biscuit crackers. And tell me who doesn't. That's it's a pretty guilty good. Uh, pleasure. Anyway, so yeah, we will cover all of that. But first, I wanted to start with what makes us happy. Do you want to start with the story today? Yeah, sure. I'll start. Well, hey, you know, we were just talking. Uh, we were talking about some good news things, and we we were talking about the cheese spray. And uh, ironically, the cheese spray that we have, there's a cheese spray for dogs that I know that you give um, Stella, your yeah, dog. Yeah. Um, Put it uh, in like a Kong or something. Yeah, so made me think about dogs in the world today. Well, guess what? There's a there's a groundbreaking thing happening for dogs out there. A world first arthritis treatment for dogs is being rolled out, and vets are hailing it as a miracle. This new biological therapy involves the synthesis of antibody molecules to eradicate pain caused by arthritis. Now, the antibodies have been manufactured here in the U.S. by Zotus, the largest global animal health company, and Scotland's dogs, get this, they'll be the first country to benefit with eight veterinary clinics across the country distributing the treatments. Wait, this is really cool, but I didn't realize there wasn't already something like this out there. I don't think there is. Because I knew that dogs dealt with arthritis. I knew that was a thing. So the fact that they're finally doing something about it is awesome. Yeah, because I think the the tradition right now, at least what we do, is give baby aspirin. Yeah. The dogs. When some kind of hurt. pain relief of some kind. Yeah. So something that's actually going to target the problem. You know what? They've Round even, of applause. You know, there's even Tremadol. Which uh, is used actually for human beings in trying to suppress uh, some some pains. Okay, that's actually used on dogs when they start having like German Shepherds, for example. Okay, they're notorious for having hip dysplasia. So once that hip dysplasia comes in, the, the veterinary cl- clinics are are very quick to write a prescription for a pain medicine rather than try and and find a therapy solution. Well, and you know, having a dog myself, it always makes me a little bit nervous to give the dog a medication made for humans, even though they say that yeah. you can within, you know, small amounts. I know you mentioned baby aspirin. That's okay in small doses. For like seven it, days, I think. Right. But it always makes me a little bit nervous because I'm like, this isn't specifically made for her, you know? So to know that they're coming up with stuff that targets a problem in canines, awesome. Yeah, it's outstanding. Completely. Okay, so I have a story today that I wanted to share. It's about a California city called Stockton, and they had a study happen there, basically seeing... How or what happened when you gave people who were in the middle to lower income class free money just for a full year? Um, There weren't really any strings attached. And um, these people might not have jobs. They could have been employed. It wasn't really based on the fact that, you know, they they didn't have any money or they were actually homeless or anything like that. It was just people who could use a little extra pocket cash. It happened between February 2018 to February 2020. They distributed $500 every month for two years to 125 people. So participants were not told their reception of the money would hinge their searching for a job because like I said, some of them were already employed. Some of them weren't employed, but that money wasn't going to affect anything. Um, Instead, they received their money on a debit card and were told to spend it on whatever they liked. The study showed a lot of the people who did get the money. Um, they spent things uh, on food, utilities, rent, auto maintenance, things that were necessary that weren't really, you know, going out and spending that $500 on lottery tickets, going to gamble. It right. was things that they actually needed, but it was kind of stuff that they realized they were able to pay for because they had that extra cash. So it des- definitely boosted them a little bit. But what I find most interesting is of those 125 people, Most of them actually got full-time jobs, climbing up to 200% above a total control group of participants who did not receive any income. So basically what it's breaking down to is 125 people got $500 every month for two years, and because of that, 
they they got better jobs. They were able to climb the ladder, and then they didn't need that extra five hundred dollars anymore. They didn't have that stress looming over they them. They didn't have what that they were stress. And it says, okay, for one example, one man spent an entire year being eligible to receive a real estate license, but he never actually had time to begin the process. It says the $500 allowed him to take time off work to get a certificate and switch careers, resulting in a 360-degree turnaround in his fortunes. So that extra money, $500 a month, really isn't that much when it comes down to it, but that's all it needed for that guy to completely change his life around, which I find super, super fascinating. So if it did it for that one guy, imagine what it's doing for for others, right? Yes. And so then another thing that they said, it says, despite the fact that every participant spent 100% of their monthly $500 boost, so everyone spent the money that they were given, 25% of them had managed to cover the $400 cost of an unexpected expense, suggesting that rather than going on spending sprees or committing the money immediately to things like rent, Some of them were able to save up and just basically pay for things. You know, life throws you stuff all the time that you don't expect to spend money on. They were able to use that money down the road to help them. That's outstanding. Yeah. So I don't know what that really says. I mean, it was just a study to kind of see see how it affected people. Clearly, there was a positive approach to it. Um, but they can, they they basically compared it to um, being more flexible and effective um, as an alternative rather than existing welfare programs. If, so this might change how welfare works down the road. Well, if you think about it, it already is changing how welfare works because uh, if you if you've been if anyone has been listening to the news has heard about Biden's program that he wants to extend out, which is basically going to supplement everyone who is on unemployment with a base wage. So if you meet the certain criteria under this, you are going to be receiving much like what California residents out here were receiving Mm -hmm. under that time. Uh, It's unclear whether or not that's actually going to come into fruition. I know that it's been in talks with Biden's administration about trying to figure out some way to get some of the helpless right now, much like these folks out there in California, some of the helpless who have been displaced by this pandemic and unable to kind of Begin that climb up. Sometimes that stimulus is just not enough. I mean, when you think about it, how long have we been in the pandemic for? I mean, over a year now. So bills pile up. $1,400 doesn't cover you for one year of bills. No. That's going to give you a fourth, maybe. So, I mean, for all the stimulus checks, it's going to take a program much like what California devised there for Americans here. And I think Biden's administration realizes that. And that was a brilliant case study to say, hey, this can work, and it's not just going to be throwing out free money to folks out there. Well, and you know what I find most interesting about this? Yeah. This study began before the pandemic. Which is amazing. So it started in February of 2018. So this is far before we ever right. even knew the word coronavirus. And then they came up with that. So it's perfect because, like you said, this this study kind of shows maybe what we should be doing right now for people on unemployment. So it was honestly perfect timing on their part. We'll shift gears on to the next story here, and we're going to talk about Canada's new dark vessel detection program. It's using cutting-edge satellite technology to find illegal fishing vessels that are attempting to hide in plain sight, stealing fish from waters all over the world. Now, dark vessels, uh, which basically switch off their location transmitter to avoid detection, so they can engage in illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing called IUU. Now, IUU fishing is a major contributor into the decline of fish stocks and marine habitat destruction, which basically undermines the livelihood of legitimate fish harvesters all over the place. Now, the government's Fisheries and Oceans Canada, in partnership with the Department of National Defense and MDA, 
Canada's largest space technology manufacturer, which owns the Radar Stat 2, which is this technology they're going to be using, has launched a new program that has already led to a significant fines on five foreign vessels. The $7 million dark vessel detection program uses the satellite technology. They locate and track vessels whose location transmitting devices have been switched off. And uh, and this has led to a large, basically, um, revitalization of, okay, if you're going to try and attempt to do illegal fishing here in Canada, mm-hmm. uh, you better go somewhere else. It's just not going to happen. So more and more countries that start to step up and do this and say, hey, you know, enough's enough. Like uh, in 2018, the U.N. is actually making a treaty at this point. It's a shame the pandemic came when it did because I would love to see where we're at. But in in 2018, the U.N. was pushing to protect marine life on the high seas with a big legally binding treaty that was supposed to be signed by 2020. Had delegations from 193 nations around the world. Acts like this, what Canada is doing mm-hmm. with this dark vessel program, that was going to be one of the mainstays in this UN program. Basically, making the Atlantic Ocean from Europe to America a large wildlife preserve, banning fishing, commercial fishing. We need something like that because I feel like if there's anything on this earth that needs protected, it's our bodies of water. Bodies of water, our fish, mm-hmm. our, our natural habitats, man. It's it's unbelievable. What would believe, and I don't want to take this into a climate uh, discussion, but, um, you know, it really is. It's, it has a, a big compiling factor into this whole climate control. Our fish, our habitats, our, our marine habitats down there. And I don't want to sound like the, you know, the, the 11th grade biology, marine biology guy but, but there's uh, a reason we talk about it right because yeah. it's absolutely true absolutely well that's a really cool story i hope that everything works out with the un too because like you said it kind of hit at a bad time with the pandemic and stuff but with 193 nations it's got to be coming back around right hopefully all right my last story it also kind of has to do with animals animals this time birds uh texas and philly joined a movement to dim lights at night making it safer for migrating birds i love this so i will take you back to 1990 it's when it began cities around the u.s have been gradually actually cutting or dimming outdoor lights in order to help one of their most vulnerable populations which is of course migratory birds i actually just learned this today when i was reading about this uh birds actually use celestial clues to navigate thousands of miles and some of these routes involve passing through some of the largest and brightest cities in north america But, of course, light pollution blots out the stars and other navigation points for birds to use, causing them to collide with buildings and power lines and things like that. Um, One of the most recent Lights Out programs was organized in Philadelphia the past couple of years. Um, A bunch of different advocates are trying to get multi-story apartments and businesses to dim or cut their lights between April 1st and May 31st. And then again, August 15th through November 15th. Um, one of the most exciting things, though, is so this happens in this is happening in Philadelphia. Twenty buildings, many of which are iconic and very recognizable, have actually signed on to this. Really? So twenty buildings so far, they're going to be cutting their lights or dimming them, at least making them so it's not so bright in the nighttime between April first through May thirty first. I wonder if the Lincoln uh, the Lincoln Financial Building that's in uh, Philly is going to be. It's one well, of the I have biggest... some of the buildings. Okay, yeah. Um, it says the one and two Liberty Place, Comcast Technology Center, Comcast Center, Mellon Bank Building, 
Brandy Ryan, Realty Trust Center City and University City Buildings. I don't know Philly skyline like that. Yeah. That's predominantly much of the larger skyline. So, like, say for New York example, that's like taking the Empire State Building and the One World Trade Center building and dimming those down. That's really cool. Absolutely. I would be interested to see what the skyline looks like in this time. It in would those be times. awesome, right? Yeah. In addition to that, they're also doing it in Texas. Um, it's called Texan by Nature. It's a nonprofit. They're also helping to bring several lights out initiatives to Texas. Um, I guess one out of every three migrating birds in the U.S. passes through Texas. So that's that's a huge majority wow. right there. Um, and there's about a billion total. So one in three of a billion. I don't know what a third of a billion is, but <laughs> 333 million that's whatever birds passing through Texas every year. So I'm, I'm glad to see that they're taking part as that well. That's outstanding. Right. So hopefully this uh, leads to a national initiative to lower the lights. Like I'd love to see Chicago yeah. do that. And it, you know what makes Texas right in that line of migratory patterns is because they have Mexico right underneath them in the Gulf of Mexico. So warm air, much like up here in our state, like we have Illinois and Michigan right there and Canada on the other side. So we have a migratory path ourselves. Can you imagine Chicago? taking a part of that initiative. If they do, we're close enough to Chicago. We should go check it out and see what the skyline looks like at night. We'll have a grown-up report for you on the other side. All right. Well, stay with us because coming up, we've got what you should know. And so we've got some interesting stories in there. Let me tell you. Welcome back. It's time for Stuff You Should Know. And Josh, I found this story this morning and I am so excited about it. We all have to join Zoom calls, right? Yeah. Ever since the pandemic began, Zoom has been a major thing. I didn't even know about Zoom before pandemic. The only thing I knew about Zoom was, you remember those old enterprise commercials? Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. Yes. Yeah. That, that took me back just now. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't even know. Was Zoom, a, was Zoom even an app before 2020? I don't know. Who knows? Um, but obviously, we're all using it now, and I feel like it's kind of here to stay. Even with restrictions loosening up, I mean, most people are back in the work, work building now, but it still feels like I have a lot of Zoom meetings. Didn't we see a stat that just said, what is it? Um, I think it was three and four Americans right now. If they have the choice to work from home, they're going to work from home. They don't want to go back to their workplace. Yeah, I actually read a study on that. I don't know the percentage, but I remember a large group actually saying that they would rather quit their job than come back to the office. Well, forget about that. So Zoom meetings are probably here to stay. Um, I did want to tell you, though, so there's a new app that got invented for people like me who hate Zoom meetings. Now, disclaimer, I'm not going to do this to my coworkers, even though sometimes Zoom meetings are the worst. But I feel like this there, is ominous. Is, there is an app. It's called Zoom Escaper. Oh, boy. And it allows you to self-sabotage your own audio stream, making your presence unbearable to others. So get this. You download this app. I have all the instructions. All you have to do is go online and type in Zoom Escaper, and it'll be the first thing that pops up. But you download this app onto your phone, your computer, whatever you're Zooming on, and then you hook it up. So it sounds like you can make it sound like you have an echo. You can give yourself a delay time, a bad connection. Basically, you're like, I I, I can't hear you. And you have all these noises. It's only the app making that happen. So it gives you a reason to leave your Zoom meeting if you're just bored out of your mind. But that's not where where they ended things. They have an option to have a crying baby in the background, the wind blowing. You can even have dogs, construction, 
and a man weeping in the background. All excuses why you have to get off the Zoom call. Wow. That is incredible. I have a, a coworker in mind here that uh, we both are familiar with. That I feel like uh, found this app first. Um, I think you know who I, I. I think I know who you're talking about because he's actually the exact person that found this and gave me the idea. Oh my gosh! No way. Yeah, but he told me I'm not going to name names, but he did tell me he's not going to use this because he knows that I know about it now. Oh, that's funny. But Zoom Escaper. That's, that's where we are. That's where we are as a country right now. We're all tired of Zoom meetings. Finding ways to get out of them. Well, hey, Brooklyn just gave you your hall pass out of your next Zoom meeting, so hopefully you've been staying grownish. Let's take a look here at our next thing that you should know. Taking aspirin during a heart attack may save your life. Yes, this is something you may have heard your grandfather talk about or your, your dad, um, but it's time, uh, since we're on a grownish show here, we're going to make sure that you stay up to date and know that aspirin still will save your life uh, at the first sign of a heart attack. And it can be a lifesaver. Now, this drug will inhibit pellets, uh, platelets, from forming a clot that can block and uh, that can block an artery and cause a full-on heart attack. For the fastest relief and time of essence, chew an aspirin instead of swallowing it. That's what I was going. I was waiting to add that in case you didn't have that part. I yeah. always heard chewing it over yeah. swallowing it because it's faster. And what are those signs there? You get a little bit of tightness in your chest your or your Your left arm heart. goes numb, right? Yep. You start feeling a little bit of shooting, crampingness in there. And boom. At that point, if you're having any thoughts about it, if you're thinking, am I having a heart attack? Go to the cabinet, grab that aspirin. Boom. I guess that's a good reason, if any, to keep aspirin in your medicine cabinet, just in case. Yeah. Aspirin. If it's not you, what if you have a guest over? Something, right? Something. You never, you never know. Okay, so my next story I have been dying to talk to you about, Josh, because I know you are a fan of the Royals. Yes. Meghan Markle. We all know what happened with her and Harry. They've been in the news constantly the past couple of weeks. She had the interview with Oprah Winfrey. Well, she's back in the news again because she's considering running for president in 2024. Mic drop. Maybe I mean, I'm that, the only one surprised by this. I don't know. It's a good know. thing our mics are suspended. Well, let me break this down for you a little bit, because I have a conspiracy theory on this, but I have to give you the facts first, and then I want your opinion on what I'm thinking is going on here. So Meghan Markle is reportedly already networking with senior Democrats to help her ambitions to become the first female U.S. president. She actually has told friends that she hopes her blockbuster Oprah Winfrey interview will strengthen support in the U.S., and I guess she's been openly networking among senior Democrats to help build fundraising teams and to campaign for the White House already. Now, here's the thing, though. So we know President Biden is pretty old, right? And by the time he would run for a second term, he will be 82, which is up there for someone going into a second term of president. Well, Megan is hoping that if he decides not to run for a second term, she can fill that slot. She can fill that slot as the new Democratic candidate. Um, her biographer has claimed that she has had her eyes set on the U.S. presidency for quite some time. Um, they also have said that one of the reasons she was so keen not to give up her American citizenship was so she had the option to go into politics. But there was one bad press in this article. Um, another biographer, he wrote, Megan, a Hollywood princess. He says, I would state categorically that she has no chance of ever running for president. She would be eaten alive because you got to think back to her Oprah winner, her Oprah interview girl was crying all over the place. And I mean, yeah. I, being a president really is not for the faint of heart. But here's where my conspiracy theory comes in, Josh. I think that they've had this plot all along and they're trying to rule two countries. Am I crazy? Well, 
<laughs> think about this. Uh, think I, about this for a second. There's a long pause there because I had to think about this for a second. Okay. I, I'm not trying to say that Megan and Harry haven't had the hardest time, you know, with, with the, the royals, the queen. But what if, and I know I'm just being crazy here and everyone's probably going to think I'm a psycho, but it's okay. What if this was all part of the plan and she came here. She had a great interview with Oprah. She's got America's pity on her side. Everyone's rooting for her. She runs for president. She wins. Now we have the Royals and Meghan Markle ruling. Yeah, it's ruling. just not going to happen at all. I'm going to crush this dream right here. One, we're not going to have Meghan Markle run when she couldn't handle her own stripes in the royal household. If she, can't, if she can't handle that in there, what makes you think she's going to handle that in the White House? Well, because apparently they were really mean to her. Okay, and Americans aren't? Yeah, I know. Pol- Americans are, aren't? I mean, even working in the news, coming from someone who works in the news, just reading Facebook comments, I get my feelings hurt sometimes. I've, I've developed a tough skin over the past few years, but I have been saying for years, I can't imagine working in politics. Presidency aside, Secretary of State, whatever you want to be, someone up there, though, they're all getting torn apart 24-7. Yeah, and this girl, I mean, unfortunately, both of them, it, it just, I don't, I don't see a way... All right, so there's a difference. So when we had our first American actor run for president, it was Ronald Reagan. He came in. He was a union president after his film career had ended. He had a Hollywood movie star wife that was basically the embodiment of a 80s you know, first lady. And uh, I don't see that same character in Meghan Markle that I do in Ronald Reagan. Meaning, like, it's okay, so we can have, like, actors and actresses right. make that, that, that jump into politics. But I don't think that she has gone about building her platform no. in a way that's going to represent me wanting to vote for her Because as what a is president. she doing right now? Being a crybaby. I don't mean to say that. I'm so hey, sorry. no, it's okay. I am so sorry. That's why this is a podcast. That, we that, can say what we want. It is real, though, because why? I mean, I get it, man. Write a book. Do oh, whatever, for sure. Do what everyone else does. And I do feel for her. Don't get me wrong. No, I am not hearing, trying to say that I don't feel for I her. I know. I know. But hearing like the things that the, the royals supposedly said to her which while she awful, was living there. Which is awful. No one should be awful. subjected to those types of, of hurtful words. Maybe this is a hot take. And it's going to be a hot take for you because I know you like Matthew McConaughey and he wants to run for governor of Texas. But I'm going to say this. If you work in pop culture, if you are an actor, a singer, whatever, can we stay out of politics? That's what I'm over. I just kind of want political people to be political people, work their way up the way it used to be. It all started. I mean, even Trump, like, come on. I'm not good. I'm I'm not trying to bash anyone for political views, but he was literally on The Apprentice, like, and then he runs for president and wins. Kanye West talked about running for president. Meghan Markle. Like, can we please just have people who are politicians? True. But I'm going to make a, I'm going to put another hot take in here. I'm going to say that politics needs a switching up. It needs to be switched up into a way that it's term limited. We did it to FDR in the 40s by saying, Mr. President, you cannot have a fourth term, which they were going to give to him. He cannot have a fourth term. And so now we started term limiting folks and politics. Now, I mean, basically, there's nothing to say that I can't run in my 26, get my congressional spot, and now rewin that all the way until I die. That is not fair because what is that doing? You're taking a generation like ours, right? We are not the same as what 
I'm sorry, what the 60s were or the 70s right. were. So why do I have people who are still being my leaders in the office there who are representing visions and fragments of what 60s, 70s, and 80s look like? We don't live in that time anymore. Agreed. We don't. So I'm not saying that Meghan Markle or Matthew McConaughey can't make a run because who knows? Who knows? Maybe this is... <laughs> Maybe this is what we need. I don't want to talk out of both sides of my mouth, but at the same point in time, if we're going to limit politicians to terms, then uh, who does that open the door for? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that opens the door got, for the average everyday nobody, right? We got a little political here, but I mean, that's okay. Right, the, whole right. point, the whole point of the story, <laughs> oh, shit, going back, it's, it's okay. The whole point of the story is... I will not be voting for Meghan Markle. That's really what it comes down to. Hot take of the day. Meghan, please don't run for president. Now, if Harry wants to run, I'm down for that. But really? I really? Have to Why? I'm just kidding. Oh, I was going to say, have you he ever can't, se- though, because he's not even American. Um, I know. I know. An American. Have you ever seen the uh, news uh, interview of him? And I always think of, like, this is what it comes down to. He's giving this interview. He's on his army base. And then on the background of this interview that he's doing, you see three or four guys just start bolting, running as fast as they can. And Harry yes. turns around, turns his head around, rips the, the microphone off of his body, and boom, he's gone. That's what I want in a leader. I have seen that video. You know what I mean? That's Can you what imagine, just for a hot second here, his brother becomes king and he becomes president? I'm down for that you kind are. of drama. That's a lot of drama. That's a lot of drama. We'll save that drama for another day. It will make me want to talk in a British accent for the rest of my life. I wish I could talk like that, but I'm terrible. It's that terrible, but you're listening to the Gronish here on Federated Media Podcast Family. Okay. All right, British guy, do you got another story, though? Yeah, you know, I, I've got one here. It's a little bit uh, interesting, and now we, we like breweries around here. Now, there's a brewery in Japan that makes beer from elephant dung. No, thank you. Yes, this brewery, Skank Gallon, uh, produces a beer called Uno Kuno Kuro. Now, that's made with coffee beans that have been passed through an elephant. And it's a huge hit, according to Fox News. But, Wait, back up for a second. Mm-hmm. The elephants are eating the coffee beans and then pooping them out, and yeah. then people are drinking this. Yeah. It's like a coffee Where muha. is this at? Uh, this is in Japan. All right. No, no. Remind me never to get coffee in Japan. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> That's where I'm leaving things with this. But it's successful? It was. And Fox News has been reporting that uh, folks in Japan literally cannot get enough of it. Um, it sells out almost immediately. Wow. That's what happened. Is it expensive? Do we know how much it costs? Uh, uh, let me see here. $50 a cup. Uh, $50 a cup. You're lying. US, yes. No, it's U.S. dollar. Now, pricey beans called black ivory. Come from Thailand's Golden Triangle Elephant Foundation, the same people that created the $50 cup of elephant dung coffee. So the creator is out there just raking in the dough and laughing his butt off because he is getting people to pay $50 for poop drink. Or raking in the dung, however you want to go with it. The dung dough, that's for sure. Ugh. Well, hey, I got one more for you. Okay. Blue cheese can change your dreams. That's right, folks. You ever had blue cheese? You ever yeah, smelt it? I hate it. Smells it. terrible. Well, if you're having strange dreams, it might be time to skip the blue cheese on your salad. Now, this is according to a research from the British Cheese Board. Now, this is a real, real place. Eating <laughs> blue cheese is particularly associated with vivid dreams. You know why? 
Because you're eating mold and poisoning yourself. <laughs> Guys, stop with the blue cheese, okay? Oh, I, my gosh. If there's one thing that disgusts me, besides milk, I hate milk, but if there's another thing out there food-wise that disgusts me, it's blue cheese. It's just mold. It's mold in your cheese. People want it on dressing. They want blue cheese crumbles. And I'm over here like, you're making yourself sick. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I a little it. judgy, but that's uh, 100% why. They're hallucinating. That's what it comes down to. That's nasty. Stay away from blue cheese. I got another one that you can stay away from, and then uh, that's all I got. Okay. You can request a DMV examination for senior citizens. Mm-hmm. That's right. So if Grandpa Joe isn't taking the hint that he's not safe behind the wheel, you can put the responsibility for nagging him about it solely on the shoulders of the DMV. That's nice. I don't actually have any old people in my life that are road hazards currently, but I feel like a lot of people do. <laughs> And I think the hardest part is the person who is the road hazard of them accepting the fact that they might not be able to drive anymore. Yeah, they just so can't you're get putting it. that on the DMV and letting them take care of it. One hundred percent, I'm for that. I'm taking down license plates, folks. Watch out, <laughs> your DMV will be in contact with you. Keeping your <laughs> keeping your eyes peeled on the roads. <laughs> All right. Well, I think this is a good time for a break, but stay with us. We're going to come back with our second installment of Women's History Month and the two people we chose to highlight this week. Up next. And welcome back. It's time to talk about our ladies of history and our part two of three here installment of Women of History mm-hmm. and Women's History Month. My today is Amelia Earhart. Now, I, plenty of you guys already know about Amelia Earhart's story or may have heard, but she was the definition of a rule breaker, an American aviator who became the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic and the first person to ever fly solo from Hawaii to the U.S. Amelia was a pioneer aviator and a true female trailblazers, and we like those around here. Definitely. Earhart refused to be boxed in by her gender, which, I mean, today's age and age is is fabulous, right? From a young age, she was born in Kansas, 1897. Amelia played basketball growing up. She took auto repair courses, briefly attended college, and in 1920, Earhart began flying lessons and quickly became determined to receive her pilot's license, passing her flight's test in December of 1921. Earhart set multiple aviation records, but it was her attempt at being the first person to circumnavigate the globe, which led to her disappearance and also presumed death. In July of 1937, Earhart's plane disappeared over the Pacific. Her plane wreckage was never found, and to this day, her disappearance remains one of the greatest unsolved mysteries of the 20th century. That is Amelia Earhart. I want to say this first. I feel like she is just so cool because what did you say? 18. When was she born? 1897. For her to be in, born in 1897 and doing things that women were not even really allowed to do at that time anyway is just amazing. Because like you said, in today's society, it's all about women power. And I mean, growing up, I've always been told women can do anything men can do. They can do whatever they want. But back then, that was not the case. You know, and this is right around the time, I think, of the, the first flight ever. I mean, the, the Wright brothers were somewhere in North Carolina, I think, at this time, taking over the first flight, which happened, um, the maiden flight happened in 1903. 
So it really wasn't that far off. No. So, I mean, think about it. In her lifetime, she was what? Six? Five? Somewhere around So she watched it happen and she said to herself, I'm going to do this too. Yeah. Unbelievable. And think about how many little girls nowadays are seeing stuff in the news or seeing stuff out in the headlines and just being inspired. She's definitely an inspirational role model for kids because I remember being a little girl and learning about her and thinking, wow, like she did all that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just super cool, huh? Right. Super cool. I want to ask you though, before we head into yours, mm-hmm. we wrap up this. Was there anything that you saw as a kid or maybe into your early um, early adulthood that just inspired you to say, hey, I want to do this because I saw that and mm-hmm. I know that I can do this? I feel like that's a hard question, but I do have a couple things come to mind. And I actually didn't end up doing either one because, um, I mean, I found my passion down the road, which was broadcast. But I remember as a kid, I mean, you're super impressionable about all kinds of stuff. And you know that the possibilities are really endless as a kid. You can do whatever you want if you put your mind to it. That's what you're always told. I remember being pretty young, maybe seven, eight, and getting a book about architects. And there was a female architect in it. And I thought that was amazing. And I remember practicing drawing rooms and like designing stuff because I thought I wanted to be an architect someday. So that was definitely one impression. I did learn, though, I was not a very good artist, so architect was off the table. And then I went to some conference. I was a Girl Scout for many, many years, and I was probably 9 or 10 at this point. And I went to some Girl Scout conference, and they had some speakers. And one lady was not only a race car driver, but an engineer as well. Yeah, and she was in her mid to late 20s. And she gave this big speech, and I mean, 9 or 10, like, I feel like when you're at places where people are giving speeches, you don't really pay that much attention because you're a kid. But I remember being super fascinated by her. Not that I wanted to be a race car driver. I wish I could remember her name, but I can't. Not that I wanted to be really a race car driver or an engineer, but just the fact that she was so young and she did both. I just felt that I felt like that was super inspiring. It was just a a realization that you really can do what you want to do. That's perfect. That's perfect. It's beautiful. What about you? Well, I mean... I guess in my young, uh, I was inspired by some presidents. I was inspired by John F. Kennedy and Ronald Reagan. We did talk about that on yeah, a different episode. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you wanted to be little Mister President yourself. Wanted to be little Mister President. Uh, I know, come a long way. It didn't happen though, obviously. Well, I mean, <laughs> you kind of learn where your strengths lie. Not saying you couldn't be a president, but same thing with me wanting to be an architect. I was like, well, I'm not an artist. That's uh, for sure. I'm not good at mischieving people. But you know what. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a horrible liar. We're both liar. good at broadcasting. Here we are, right? <laughs> Too honest for my own good. All right. <laughs> well, my person, I had actually never heard of her until I decided to find another person to talk about. I've been trying to focus on women that we might not really learn about in average history, right? So I had Nellie Bly last week. Today I have Margaret Sanger. And I felt like she was important to talk about because a taboo topic that I feel like a lot of people don't like mentioning is birth control. I mean, yeah, it's kind of no one of those things. This one. It's kind of one of those things one. where everyone just like it's. It, we we talked about this with mental health, right? It's something that's kind of taboo. You don't really bring it up unless you have to. Right. Well, this woman is credited with creating it, but the way she went about creating it and the things she did is why I wanted to talk about her today. So her name again is Margaret Singer. Um, in the early 20th century, it was a time when matters surrounding family planning or women's health care they were not spoken of in public. But Margaret Sanger founded the birth control movement and then became an outspoken and lifelong advocate for women's reproductive rights. So I'll take you back a little bit. Um, Her life course was shaped by the poverty of her childhood and the death of her mother at age 50. Now, her mom died, actually, 
because of the physical toll of 11, 11 pregnancies. Wow. Yes. Uh, Holy moly. She was, she was the sixth of the 11 children that, she, that were born in her family. So she saw that many more children come after her, five more kids. Her mom died after the 11th kid. Because back then, they really didn't have the, the technology and the medical ability to help women if they had a bad pregnancy. I can't even imagine. So that kind of inspired her. So then back in 1910, she had moved to New York with her husband, and she became a member of the Women's Committee of the New York chapter of the Socialist Party, and she participated in all kinds of women's labor protests. She strongly believed in the ability to control family size and the fact that that was crucial to ending the cycle of women's poverty, because obviously the more children you're having, the less money you're going to have, especially back then when times were tight already. Um, But I didn't know this. It was actually illegal back in the 1910s to distribute birth control information. You could not tell people about birth control. Yes, it was illegal. Um, So she was a nurse. And the thing that she did that kind of sparked her path for life, she frequented homes of poor immigrants, often large families and wives whose health was impaired by too many pregnancies, things like that. And the wives would ask her to tell them the quote unquote secret presuming that educated white women like Sanger knew how to limit family size. So she made it her mission to provide women with birth control information secretly because it was illegal and to repeal the federal Comstock law, which was making it illegal to talk about this. Right. So then fast forward four years, 1914, she launched her own feminist publication, the women rebel advocating for birth control. And she was charged with violating the laws because of this. So she had to flee to England So she's fleeing from New York to England because basically, if not, she's going to jail. A year later, she stands trial, but her five-year-old daughter accidentally dies unexpectedly, letting the charges get dropped. So they said, you know what? She did this. It wasn't, you know, super, super illegal. It's not like she killed someone or robbed someone. So they dropped the charges because she lost her kid. Okay. Well, then she decided... Okay, I'm going to take that forward and I'm going to do something else. 1916, she opens the first birth control clinic in Brownsville, Brooklyn. She was arrested because of that, spent 30 days in jail, but her arrest garnered so much media attention that courts ruled that physicians could prescribe contraceptives to women for medical reasons. It was a loophole that allowed her to open a clinic in 1923 staffed by all female doctors. Wow. Yes. Wow. What so because turn. of this one person, this one girl who refused to give up and said, look, these women need re- they need help. Like, we don't want to keep just having children without without any, you know, what I, what I want to say. They, they don't want to keep having children and know the, the repercussions that are coming because of that. You know, women are dying. They're poor because they have so many kids. She right. refused to quit. So then she also launched the birth control review founded the American Birth Control League in 1921 to gain support from social workers. And in 1929, she formed the National Committee on Federal Legislation of Birth Control. Basically, it brings it down to, in 1936, all because of her, courts made it legal for doctors to prescribe birth control. So literally 20 years. 20 years of her her life. From from that arrest to when it became legal. When the doctors, the, the courts ruled that they can actually make this a medicine now. 20 years to the year. It was 1916 when she was arrested, 1936 when courts made it legal for doctors to prescribe birth control. And I will say, in addition to that, so she did retire in 1942, um, but in the, na- in the late 1950s, she was recruited once again 
uh, along with researcher Gregory Pincus, and they developed the oral contraceptive now known as the pill. So even though she retired in the 1950s, she came back and did one last thing, created the birth control pill that everyone knows to this day. And like I said, I feel like birth control is kind of a taboo topic. People don't really talk about it. If you're on it, you're on it. If you're not, you're not. That's kind of left between you and your partner or whatever. Right. But I mean, think about how much that has changed history for women. That's uh, that's a round of applause. Seriously, Margaret Sanger. Wow. Because I, I, as a guy here, naturally, I don't know about this. You know, and I'm not trying I to make anything I didn't know about sexist. it either, though. They don't teach about things like this in school. That's incredible. That so, journey right there. Wow. Wow. So that being said, stay with us next week as well, because we're going to have two more women to round out our Women's History Month in March. I'm excited for our, our last round. Me of too. I don't know who I'm going to pick yet. I feel like I have to pick someone really good. Don't tell me. I'm not going to tell you. Because I won't tell you either. It'll be a surprise. Secret surprise. Okay, stay with us because we have one last segment we want to do today, and it is a doozy. It's all about what non-Americans thought were fake about America, but it all turned out to be completely true. Some of this is super funny. And it's not cheese. It's not cheese. Welcome back to our last segment of today's episode. We're going to talk about an article I found on BuzzFeed today, and it's super, super funny. It's called Non-Americans Are Sharing the Things They Thought Were Fake About America That Turned Out to Be Completely True. So this actually started on Reddit. Reddit user Shelton8 asked, what is the craziest rumor you heard about America that turned out to be actually true? And the, the person who wrote the BuzzFeed article compiled the list and Josh and I are going to just go through and pick some of our favorite ones. This was great. I, was, I absolutely love this. Gave me a laugh from start to finish. So the first one that I really liked was the person who said drink sizes. Whoa. They said, when my family visited America in 2017, we landed in Texas for a stopover. First thing I saw in the shops part of the terminal was a dude who was drinking from what looked like an actual bucket. Here in New Zealand, our large drinks would be considered an American small or medium. <laughs> I believe that wholeheartedly. Let me tell you what. The place that has the biggest cups is Panda Express. Man, that large is huge. It's like 66 ounces. I got ounces. a medium one time, and it was the size of a normal large at um, like McDonald's <laughs> or somewhere, right? Well, then one time I got a large just because I was super thirsty. I am a huge Dr. Pepper fan. I'm trying to stay off of it because I've been drinking too much. But I'm a huge Dr. Pepper fan, so I was like, give me a large Dr. Pepper. That thing was bigger than my head. It's huge. Have you ever seen Parks and Rec where they do the kids' size? No. You know what I'm talking about? Uh-uh. On the show Parks and Rec, it's on Netflix, um, they have this whole like joke that goes on through the show where they have this um, this fast food place. I can't remember what the fast food place is. It's a fictional thing. But their cups, they have all these different cups, and they're drinking large sizes, and the large sizes are the size of a bucket just for a comedic effect. And then they have one called the kid's size, but it's not a kid's size. It's the size of an actual toddler. And they're like, yeah, I feel like a 30-pound toddler could fit in this cup. And they're carrying it around. It's the kid's size drink. But it's just a play on the fact that America doesn't know when to stop when it comes to soda fountain drinks. Pretty soon we're going to have movie bucket popcorn buckets. Probably. There's probably pot. people already doing that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, American kids eat straight sugar. And this is true. Walked onto a playground and saw kids chucking these long, thin sticks. I tried one and realized it was just colored sugar. They're called, they called them pixie sticks. Yeah, that's bad, isn't it? <laughs> I think about all the things we ate as a kid that were just plain sugar. Pixie sticks, there's the, um, the dip 
things where you have the uh, the little the candy stick that you stick dip you into dip the it in there, right? fun dip. Fun, fun dip. dip. Wow. And then they have the baby bottle pops. Same thing. You lick the sucker, dip it in. Again, we wonder sugar. why we have a weight problem here in America. And cavities. All these kids have bad teeth and they're overweight. Dentists are just, it's a good day to be a dentist. They're raking it in. All right, another one of my favorites. This person says, you can buy milk in gallon-sized containers. When I visited America, I went to a supermarket for some breakfast stuff, cereal and milk. All they had was milk in gallons. Who could possibly want that much milk? I asked for a smaller carton, and the lady who worked there just laughed at me and asked, don't you like milk in England? <laughs> Seriously, okay, I feel like I've ranted about this before. I hate milk with a passion. Yeah. The only time I will ever use milk is when it goes in a recipe and there's no going around it. I can never wrap my head around why people need gallons of milk. I see some people buying multiple gallons at a time, and I'm like, maybe you have kids. I don't know, but why are we drinking cow's milk in anyway? I don't get that. A lot of cereal. A lot of cereal, right? Lots of cereal. A lot of cereal. And uh, and actually, and that was one of the things that uh, some foreigners brought up, is that you have a whole aisle in your supermarkets dedicated to just cereal. Maybe that's where that milk goes. Have you been out of the country no. Me neither. But I feel like when and if that happens for me, I need to find out what their cereal aisles are looking like. Because growing up in America, I thought everyone had whole aisles of cereal. <laughs> Apparently not. We're the only country in the world that does. And we're getting carried away with the cereal. It's have huge. you seen the cereal lately? We have like cinnamon bun cereal, honey button cereal, Oreo cereal. Like it's not even cereal anymore. I feel like they're making it a like a joke to see how far they can take this before we're like, enough's enough. Bring it's back like, the cornflakes. Uh, you can go down the candy bar aisle at the store and literally go into the cereal aisle and find the cereal version of that candy bar. Yeah, Every that can't be good. No, it cannot be good. <laughs> All right, another one. It says, red Solo cups are not just a Hollywood prop. When I immigrated to the U.S., my mother-in-law was making dinner and offered me iced tea in a Red Solo cup. I definitely will say Red Solo cups are basically it's American. the logo of parties. Like, if you think of a party, do you think of Red Solo clips, cups laying everywhere? Because that's what I see in my head. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we're growing up from those party scenes. I'm thinking now of American summer nights, you know, out like there a, around the cookout, cookout the okay. boat, the lake. You got cups, Solo cups, because you can throw them away. Right. That's what I'm thinking of. But, yeah, you know, four years ago, I would have said, hey, you know, Red Solo Cup is the party logo of America. Well, then they also have, we have the song, like the country song. It's like Red Solo Cup, I fill you up. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? It really is. It's America's It's America's logo. America's logo. America. Well, <laughs> Americans are nice and will stop to talk to strangers. This one says, I've been through a lot of big American cities and a lot of tiny towns. All of you, north to south, make Canadians look like bloody savages. I expected something worse, probably because of the television and Internet. I ended up leaving your country after the first time I visited Blown away with a newfound, very real love for my southern neighbors. Okay, I feel like I'm going to be the negative Nancy here. But I feel like people are actually mean all the time where I go. So I don't know where they were that they found all these friendly people. And then I'm thinking, if we seem super friendly, what is it like in Canada? I know, right? I feel like everywhere I go, I'm like, wow, they seem like they're they're in a bad mood. I walk around like (laughs) sunshine. I'm walking on sunshine 24-7, and I know you do too. And there are a lot of people like us, but there's a lot of people who are not like that either. So apparently our northern neighbors think, uh, you know, we're too nice down here. But we think uh, you're too nice up there. All right, so fair enough. There you go. Well, one of my favorite holidays is Halloween, and this person could not believe that on Halloween, mass people actually come to your house and knock on your door asking for candy. Mostly it's just packs of kids, but sometimes it is, in fact, whole families. Completely agree. And you know how many I love. Let me let me start over. What I love most about Halloween 
is the fact that I can pass out candy. That's my favorite part. I love passing out candy to kids, but you know how many adults actually do come up and they're like, it's for the baby. And the baby is in the stroller. And I'm like, there's no way this baby is going to eat the Snickers bar, but I'll give it to you anyway. <laughs> it's kind of a weird holiday when look? it comes down to it. Do no, I'm too nice. I'm always like, oh, okay, take it. <laughs> but in reality, yes, there are too many people out trick-or-treating that should not be. We're going to have a little TikTok uh, variation this year of Grownish uh, does Halloween trick-or-treating. Are we? We might. Stay tuned. <laughs> you know, and some uh, foreigners have said to us here, you had those angry sinks that chop shit up. And we do. It's called garbage disposal. I'm surprised <laughs> the rest of the world hasn't caught on to that one yet. Now, I don't mean to sound like that snobby American, but we're not we're not fippy, you know. I don't I didn't know garbage disposals weren't common in other parts of the world. I would love to see how they maintain their garbage. Interesting. Although I don't have a garbage disposal right now and I'm doing okay, I guess. This is true. So whatever. This but is true. Interesting. I like that they call them angry sinks, though. Angry sinks. That right. chop shit up. Here is my last one I'm going to highlight today. It says, Americans are very good at making pie. I was pretty much all alone during Thanksgiving because everyone else was with their families. One of the resident assistants I'd befriended knocked on my door and brought me all different kinds of pie. And dear Lord, I'd never tasted anything that delicious. From blueberry to apple to pumpkin, every single pie, they were all amazing. We do have good pies. We do. I and mean, we come up with an excuse to eat pie for every holiday. Yeah. Thanksgiving, Christmas, You don't Easter. have a holiday or a family get-together without some variation of pie. Classic. What's your favorite? Sweet potato pie. Sweet potato pie is your favorite pie? Shook my mind. That is the most random pie I've ever heard anyone say is their favorite. Okay. I'm not judging. What's your, what's your favorite Classic pie? cherry, probably. Okay. Or pumpkin. I love a good Traverse pumpkin City pie. Traverse City cherry? I've not had Traverse City cherry. You need to have a Traverse City cherry pie. I think I've had Traverse City cherry ice cream. That was good. Well, it could be Travis City, any kind of ice cream, it'd probably be good, huh? Well, true. Maybe. maybe. You can tell we've reached the end of this uh, podcast today, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the end of your list? That was the end of my list. Well, hey, you know, I got one, but I don't even really want to say it. Sports bars are actually exactly how they're portrayed on TV. I mean, I don't that's know not that surprising. Means. No, because think about it. We always portray sports bars in movies. You know, there's all these TVs going, all these different sports. There's people drinking beer, yelling at the TV. Not really in a COVID world. I mean, we've gone to a couple places with each other that's like, got TV is kind of that sports feel. But how everything is right now with people separated, it doesn't get really too lively. But think about on a big game day when people go during March Madness to Buffalo Wild Wings or the, um, what am I thinking of? The Super Bowl. Yeah. They do get pretty wild. They do. I'm just surprised the rest of the world doesn't have sports bars like that. Like their, their bars that they watch sports in aren't like that. I guess we'll never, well, we might find out someday. Someday. Anyway, great list. 10 out of 10. That was good. Solid show. Well, I think it's time to wrap things up, Josh. Boom. So, um, social media, folks. Social media time. You can find me at Radio Brooklyn on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at Josh RW underscore Williams or on Facebook at Josh Willie Williams. And as always, you can keep up and keep in touch with Gronish. Email us at gronishpodcast at gmail.com. Or find us on Twitter at Gronish Podcast, Gronish Podcast on Facebook as well. You stay classy, San Diego. Again, we're going to end with that again. It sounded appropriate. <laughs> it's good. It's good. I like it. You stay classy, South Bend. And uh, Fort Wayne and wherever Chicago, else you're listening. Michigan, Minnesota. Hey, I love the fact. I'm just going to throw this last one in here. I love the fact of our global reach, especially in the United States, all of our friends from California, Southern, I was going to say, we've got some Minnesota, friends in California listening. Texas, North Carolina, Illinois, 
All of you guys. We love you all. Love you. Stay grownish. Stay great. We'll talk to you next week. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.